Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We're trying to make keeping up with the literature as easy as possible, and so we're here to spoon-feed you the latest research straight through your earbuds. Now, let's take a quick look at everything that we covered from this past week. First off, a management of massive and submassive PEs in children. Next, don't neglect the right heart, even in low-risk PEs. Third, gross. I love the environment, but perhaps single-use PPE is best. Fourth, there's no magic touch to removing staples. Honestly, some parents could do it at home for their own children. Probably? And then fifth, a spoonful review of severe asthma management. Now, if you're hearing this, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so, unfortunately, will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only receiving a portion of the past week's summaries. Don't worry, though, I pick my favorites, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you can become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org, and remember that we don't ever want money to be a barrier to patient care. So if you're having trouble affording a subscription, please get in touch, and we'll help out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by the valuable Davin Brar and Clay Smith. So we skip right over the first article and jump into the second. Can right ventricular assessment improve triage of low-risk pulmonary embolism out of the Journal of Academic Emergency Medicine? So convincing physicians to send home low-risk PE patients has been, it's been quite an uphill battle, even when risk scores like SPASC and the Hestia criteria are even used. Now, something that's notably left out of these two risk scores is any specific measurement of the right ventricle which is what we typically be most afraid of failing in a PE. So why aren't we looking for it? A patient who is low risk but has right ventricular dysfunction, well, I mean, that sounds a lot more like a submassive PE to me than just a plain old low risk patient. Could right ventricular assessment help us determine which patients are high risk despite being low risk by SPESI? This study was a retrospective observational study using a PE registry database from six academic emergency departments in the United States. The included patients were all low risk by SPESI with a score of zero. And the authors thought to see if imaging with an echo or a CTA, or using biomarkers, be that a troponin or a BNP, could improve the prediction of clinical deterioration within five days. Now, if you're clinically deteriorating within five days, and we're talking death, respiratory failure, cardiac arrest, things like that, then you don't sound like you were truly low risk. They had 610 patients, of which 12% had clinical deterioration within five days. That's already too much for my liking. Now, right ventricular abnormalities were seen in 26% of those patients by CT, 20% by echo, 22% by BMP, and 18% by troponin. So most measures of cardiac dysfunction were roughly the same. Using a random forest plot, including all of the patient variables that they had, as well as markers of right ventricular abnormality, well, all four of the right ventricle function markers were the best predictors of clinical deterioration within five days. So this kind of worries me, but there's hope for the future. Remember the risk score we spoke about in January called the PE score? 
Well, if you use that or another tool that incorporates right ventricular function, then 90% of these so-called low-risk patients would have been reclassified as actually being high-risk by those tools. And high-risk sounds fair if they deteriorate within five days. Limitations to this study include that it was a small study, all these patients were admitted, they were not discharged patients, and that the echoes were not POCA studies done by emergency physicians. My takeaway from this was that before any patient is sent home as low-risk PE, you should probably put probe to skin. Echo showing right ventricular abnormalities had the best predictive value and odds ratio of almost 8 for clinical deterioration within 5 days. In a spoonful, while this wasn't quite the right population or the right methods to be assessing that risk tool, it does highlight the importance of the assessment of right ventricular function in PE patients. And then the third article titled Reuse of Personal Protective Equipment, Results of a Human Factor Study Using Fluorescein to Identify Self-Contamination During Donning and Doffing, out of the Journal of Emergency Medicine. Our first line of defense against infection is PPE. Earlier on in the COVID pandemic, this was a scarce resource, and so many were reusing part of their equipment, namely usually N95 masks. Now, being protected properly is really important. According to the WHO, over 115,000 health workers have died so far from COVID-19. The CDC guidance on the reuse of PPE is to follow your local protocols. But is it even realistic to reuse PPE without contaminating yourself? This study took 28 acute care clinicians and put them through five simulations of having to don and doff an N95 mask that they had contaminated, or quote-unquote contaminated, with fluorescent gel on the outside surface where it would have been exposed to possibly an infected patient. The authors were very careful to ensure that there was no cross-contamination between participants or between simulated encounters. Now then, none of the 28 participants were able to don and doff without contamination. Some were able to do it once, maybe twice, but most couldn't. The majority of contamination was on the head and neck, not exactly where I'd want to be contaminated. This, of course, likely exaggerates the true contamination rates. And in real life, dose matters when you're maybe going to get infected. But the point is, is that PPE should be a source of protection and it shouldn't be a risk at all. And, or else it's not really doing its job very well. In a spoonful, it's really hard to don and off contaminated PPE. Really, it's probably best not to try, or else you might be defeating the point in the first place. Alright guys, what did we learn today? Let's do a quick wrap-up. From the second article, I don't think I'll be skipping on some kind of assessment of right ventricular function for PE patients, even the ones that are supposed to be low-risk. Abnormalities seem to portend poor outcomes even in low-risk patients. From the third article, single use of N95 masks is probably the best. It's really hard to get these things on and off without contaminating yourself, although I've seen a lot of interesting setups through the pandemic, and there's probably some better ways than were done in this study. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org. And remember yourself, and you could remind your colleagues as well, that if you follow the newsletter, it really primes you really nicely so that when you listen to the podcast at the end of the week, boom, you've got some space repetition, and I promise you, you'll remember these studies better. If you're feeling a little bit of FOMO right now, and you'd like to hear 2.5 times more content, then come join us over at the members feed. 
Our goal here is really to provide better patient care through spoon feeding. And so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.